morning. I was waiting for those lights to come up so I could actually see you. Welcome to Bridgewater. My name is Brett, and I'm one of the pastors at Bridgewater. It's great to have you here today on Open House Sunday. Um, looking forward to the cotton candy machine, like Curtis said. But I'm going to try not to think about that until after this. But it's great to have you. Welcome. I'm really glad you're here. We are... Uh, beginning a brand new series today. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 2. We are starting a brand new series called Can't Believe, and we are going to look in the book of John, predominantly, and tackle four of the greatest obstacles of believing in Jesus. Four of the greatest obstacles of believing in Jesus. We're going to look at the first one today, and it is thinking that we have already made it. That's the obstacle. I, I went to the fair this summer with, with my family, and I like the fair. I have to be honest, I, I like eating food there that I would never, ever eat any other time of year. Um, <clears throat> there's something about bacon-wrapped corn dogs that just keeps me coming back. It's got to be honest. A corn dog is good enough, but then you wrap it in bacon, and <laughs> what could be better? Um, and, you know, I, every year I get uh, a funnel cake, at the fair. Um, I have not found a, a funnel cake that's that good, and it must just be the setting, the environment, I don't know, but watching a demolition derby with, with a funnel cake pouring all over your, you know, your pants is just <laughs> wonderful. Uh, there's just something fun about that. Uh, I'm not somebody who likes to wait. However, when I can wait in line and eat those, those uh, nuts that are crusted in sugary stuff, and almonds or walnuts or like it doesn't matter which one. I just go to that little booth and I buy three for however much dollars, and I just keep eating them. Ugh. So anyway, went to the fair. I I got off track there a little. And at the fair, you have to stand in line. And we have two new little children, a two-year-old and a three-year-old foster kids. And so we were going on totally different rides than normal. Um, we were going on the train that goes on the little track. We were going on the, not the teacups that you spin really fast, but the teacups that spin really slow. Um, Anyway, we got on this one, in this line, in this one ride, and uh, Lexington and Gabbiana, and we waited for what seemed like hours, because any time waiting with them seems like hours. And I'm 50. It seems like hours. And we finally got to the, to the front of that line, right where you get to go in, you know, and so you can see the ride, and you're excited about the ride, you've made it, right, you've made it, until you see the little chart that says you have to be this tall to ride this ride, and I thought that there was no bottom, no, you know, like I thought that this was little kid rides, you could pretty much go on all of them, I thought wrong. And Lexington did not make it. And we had a meltdown right there. He had more of a meltdown than I did. But, but I have to tell you, the, the ride was pretty safe for a kid this tall. I'm pretty sure a kid this tall would have been just fine. We didn't make it. So he screams and yells and I put him over my shoulder and walk out as he screams and yells. And I thought, now I'm that 
dad. There I go. And everybody's looking at me, and I just want to thank you. Yes, hi. Yep, no, we didn't make the cut. It feels bad to not make it. It feels bad. Some of us can relate to not making it in school, certain grades. My, my third year of eighth grade was better than my first two years of eighth grade. Um, sometimes not making it, it feels bad. This morning we're going to look at a group of people that thought they believed. They thought they measured up. They thought they made it. But they didn't really have saving faith. We live in a, in a nation that says they believe in, in God. In fact, there's a, a, uh, a study that just came out that said 51% of Americans say that they are Christians. Christians. And believe that they will go to heaven when they die. 51%. It's a majority, right? At, this, at some point, these people heard about Jesus. They either said a prayer or walked down an aisle or went to a class or were baptized or confirmed or whatever and thought, I'm good. My grandma took me to church and we had a good time. Somehow they think they're Christians. The Bible talks frequently about this kind of belief that doesn't save. It's superficial. It's surface. So, John chapter 2, Jesus addresses this. He's talking to a group of people, teaching as he goes. And John is one of the Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, written by one of Jesus' disciples. And here's, here's what it says in John chapter 2, beginning with verse 23. Now, while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the signs he was performing, and they believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them. Hold on now. That word entrust is the exact same Greek word as the word above, believe. So you have a bunch of people who saw Jesus do cool things. He did a miracle. <laughs> That's amazing. And it says they believed, but Jesus would not believe himself to them. For he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. We have a group of people who superficially believe, but are not saved. In their case, they, they saw these miracles. They temporarily were impressed. They were curious enough to chase Jesus around to see what else he did. But they didn't have a belief that saved them. This isn't the only time that we read about something like this in the Bible. Luke chapter 8 talks about a farmer who sows seed and he throws seed around. And some of the seed it says, falls on rocky soil, but it shoots up really fast, and it looks like it's really good, but then it quickly dies. All right, it looked like it had some good activity, but then it dies. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus was speaking. Here's what he said. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And, and in your name we drove out demons? And in your name we performed many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's the same today, isn't it? Many, many people go to church, they act moral, we have good standards. Mom used to take me to church, so I go to church. I like the music at church. I, I get a good feeling when I'm at church. You know, for a lot of reasons, we do good things. But I think that's the same as John 2. A bunch of people just liked what Jesus did, but they were curious. They were intrigued. They weren't believing. There's a, a, a famous pastor David Platt, here, here's what he says about this. Since Jesus is not talking in Matthew 7 or in John 2 about irreligious pagans or atheists or agnostics, he's talking about deeply, devoutly religious people who are deluded into thinking that they are saved when they are not. He's talking about men and women who will be shocked one day to find that though they thought they were on the narrow road that leads to heaven... They were actually on the broad road that leads to hell. People who believed but were never born again. People who attended church or went to a small group or, or read the Bible or did good deeds to old people. Those kinds of people. The people you look at and say, well, that's a, that's a good dude there. Yeah, that's a good person. You see, of the 51% of Americans who say they're Christians, here are some additional statistics. Half of them have no regular presence in any kind of church. 50% of them think that the Bible is wrong in much of what it teaches. And two-thirds of them, 66% of them, have lifestyles or worldviews that are no different from those outside of that 51%. They're, they're just living however they want. They haven't been changed. So the, the question is, what kind of belief saves? If, if it's not this kind in John 2, where you've got people who are looking at the miracles saying, that is so cool, I'm going there, that's sweet, and they follow a little while, if it's not that, then, then what is it? Well, Jesus answers that question in John 3. So in, in John chapter 3, here's, here's, Jesus has a conversation with Nicodemus. Okay, It's a religious leader, a very spiritual person who, who actually was one of the John chapter 2 people. Had seen miracles, was interested. So this is what Jesus says to him. John chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. He says, now there was a Pharisee, that's a religious leader, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. In other words, Nicodemus is saying, we've been intrigued by what we've seen you do. 
You do some cool stuff. You took that loaf of bread, you made a bunch of loaves. <laughs> That's really cool. You took the little fishes there, made a bunch of fish. We like that. We saw somebody who was crippled, you healed them. We're going to follow you because in case we get sick, we want to be near you. Okay. He self-identified as a very religious person who was curious about Jesus. Verse 3. Jesus replied, truly, truly, I, or verily, verily, I, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of heaven unless they are born again. Which confuses Nicodemus. He says, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. Jesus answered, verily, verily, I tell you, or truly, truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and of spirit. So here's what you've got. Nicodemus was a super religious guy. Nicodemus is the guy that went on mission trips. He's the guy who, who gave financially to his church. He did meals on wheels. Nicodemus was that guy. He, he was a really nice guy. He understood the Bible even. He was a religious leader, a Pharisee. That, that means that not only did they follow the Bible, but they added other rules to the Bible too. He's the kind of neighbor you would say, yeah, I don't know about him, but wow, he's just a good guy. If your driveway is like half shoveled, he's going to come and shovel it. That, that kind of guy. Church attendance, religious rituals, and yet, Jesus says, you are dead in your sin. And Jesus then said in, in verse 4, verse 3, you've got to be born again. See, Jesus required him to die to his old self and have new birth. So you're wondering, what are the marks of, of real saving faith? The first one is new birth. New birth. Jesus is letting Nicodemus know that true belief in Jesus is more than curiosity. It's a full surrender. Even for a deeply religious man, there was a need for him to die to himself and have a new birth. You see, we, I think we underestimate our problem. And Americans are good at that. We're good at that. We think we're doing pretty well. Here, here's why. The reason we think we're doing pretty well is because we compare ourselves to other people instead of comparing ourselves to God. I compare myself to other people and I say, well, I'm not as bad as that. I'm doing pretty well. Well, I didn't do that. In the news, there's that guy who went, on, went with his fiance for a month vacation or whatever and he came back and she didn't. And they're trying to ask him questions and he's dodging the law. Okay, at least I didn't do that. I'm pretty good. My wife and I went on vacation. I brought her back. <laughs> hey, look at me. Instead of comparing myself to what the Bible says, I need to be. That's why we need new birth. We need new birth because 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that our minds are blinded to the truth. 
Ephesians 2 says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And we're children of wrath. John 3.20 says that we're lovers of darkness. God's wrath remains on those who do not believe. And Genesis 6.5 says that our thoughts are laced with evil continually. Ouch. Ah. But we downplay the need, and I think Nicodemus too downplayed the need for a new birth, for a new us, because he compared himself to everybody else. I think I'm doing all right. Our sin is why we need to be reborn and made new. Here's what I wrote down. New birth in Jesus is our only solution. When someone truly makes Jesus their leader, savior, and forgiver, their lives completely change. New birth. The second mark to saving faith is that once there is new birth, then there is new life. New life. John 3, he talks about new life. And if you look down, John 3, verse 14, it says, uh, just as Moses, he's, Jesus is still talking to Nicodemus, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, Jesus is talking about a story in Numbers 23. When when the Israelites were, were sick and were dying and they cried out to God saying, God, please help us. And God told their leader, Moses, to, to craft, to, to make a snake out of bronze and stick the snake on the pole. And then he was supposed to tell all the people, if you are sick or if you are dying, just look at the pole and you'll be healed. That's it. Just look at the pole. And so I am sure there were people dragging their friends and relatives to the pole to look at the pole. I'm sure there were people crawling to the pole. Why? Because they were told, and it did happen, when they set their eyes on the pole, they got a new life. They got a new life. So Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, in other words, he's going to die, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And then verse 16, very familiar verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. All who look to Jesus will be saved. It probably felt very ridiculous for those people to straggle and struggle and crawl to look at a bronze snake in the middle of the wilderness on a hill on a pole. Probably felt very ridiculous. However, when they did it, they got new life. They were healed. I think we need to have the faith that they had. Except not in a bronze snake, but in Jesus. That he could be the solution to our sin problem. 
and get new birth and new life. And just like the bronze snake was the only antidote to the Israelites, Jesus is the only antidote for our sin. There's a, there's a famous preacher from the 1800s. His name, his name is Charles Spurgeon. And uh, he was a preacher, amazing preacher, writer. Um, he, would, he would command rooms of 10,000 people and communicate to them in the, in the mid-1800s. There's a story of how he came to new birth and new life in Jesus. And it, it's, a, it's a neat story. Um, he wasn't available to come and tell you, so I got somebody else to come. He's been dead for a couple hundred years. But... Um, not quite, but here's a video of Charles Spurgeon's salvation story. Watch this, and then I'm going to come back up and wrap it up. I want to share with you how Charles Spurgeon described his own conversion. You ready? Spurgeon says, I sometimes think that I might have been in darkness and despair until now. Had it not been for the goodness of God in sending a snowstorm one Sunday morning when I was trying to go to church somewhere, because it was snowing, I got to a place where I couldn't walk any farther, and so I turned down a side street looking for the first church I could come to, and I stumbled onto a little primitive Methodist chapel. In that chapel, there could not have been more than a dozen or 15 people. I had heard of those primitive Methodists, how they sang so loudly that they made people's heads ache. But that did not matter to me. I was desperate to know how I might be saved, and if they could tell me that, I did not care how much they made my head ache. The minister did not come that morning. He was snowed in, I suppose. So at last, a very thin-looking man, a shoemaker, a tailor, or something of that sort, went up into the pulpit to preach. Now, it is well that preachers should be instructed, but this man was really stupid. Charles Spurgeon. He was obliged to stick to his text for the simple reason that he couldn't think of anything else to say. The text was that morning, Isaiah 45, 22, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. He didn't even pronounce the words rightly, but that didn't matter. There was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in that text. The preacher that morning began thus, my dear friends, this is a very simple text indeed. It says, look. Now looking don't take a great deal of pains. It ain't lifting your foot or your finger. It's just look. Well, a man needn't go to college to learn to look. You may be the biggest fool, and yet you can look. A man needn't be worth a thousand a year to be able to look. Anybody can look. Even a child can look. All the text says is, look unto me. I, he said in a broad SX accent, which I don't really know what that means. I think it's something like the southern twang that people from Pittsburgh have. Um, so that's how you would hear that. Um, he, says, he says, I, many of you are looking to yourselves, but it's no use looking there. You'll never find any comfort in yourselves. Some of you say, we must wait for the Spirit's working. We must wait for predestination. You ain't got no business with that just now. Look to Christ. That's all the text says. Look unto me. Then the good man followed up his text this way. Look unto me. I'm sweating great drops of blood. Look unto me. I am hanging on the cross. Look unto me. I am dead and buried. Look unto me. I rise again. Look unto me. I ascend to heaven. Look unto me. I'm sitting at the Father's right hand. Oh, poor sinner. Look unto me. Look unto me. When he had gone on to, uh, uh, when he had gone on to about that length and had managed somehow to spin out 10 minutes or so, the poor soul was at the end of his tether. He couldn't think of anything else to say. Then he looked at me under the gallery 
And I dare say, with so few present, he must have known I was a stranger. Fixing his eyes on me as if he knew all my heart, he said, young man, you look very miserable. Well, I did, but I had not been accustomed to have remarks made from the pulpit on my personal appearance. <laughs> However, it was a good blow. It struck right home. And so he continued, and you will always be miserable, miserable in life, even more miserable in death if you don't obey my text. But if you obey now, this moment, you will be saved. Then lifting up his hands, he shouted as only a primitive Methodist could do. Young man, look to Jesus Christ. Look, look, look. You have nothing to do but to look and to live. And I saw at once the way of salvation. I don't know what else he said. I didn't take much notice of it. I was so possessed with that one thought. Like as when the brazen serpent was lifted up, the people only looked and were healed. So it was with me. I'd been waiting to do 50 things, but when I heard that word, look, what a charming word it seemed to me. Oh, I looked until I could almost have looked my eyes away. There and then, the cloud was gone, the darkness had rolled away, and that moment I saw finally the sun. And I could have risen that instant and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ and the simple faith which looks alone to him. Oh, that somebody had just told me that before. Trust Christ, look to Christ, and you shall be saved. And it was, no doubt, all wisely ordered in the providence of God. And so now I can say, ere since by faith I saw that stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme, and shall be till I die. It's just a look. Just look. Just look. See, our problem, I think, is worse than we think. I think our lostness is more desperate than we know. There's a superficial belief that keeps people from real faith. Maybe you prayed a prayer, maybe you walked an aisle, maybe you checked a box, maybe you raised a hand. Have you experienced new birth and have you experienced new life? When the gospel goes to work on us, it changes us. Well, it doesn't make us perfect. But there's life where there was death before, and you're different. There's hope where there was despair before, you're different. There's love where there was hate before, and we're different. When we have an encounter with the force as powerful as the and as fierce as God's love, we cannot remain unchanged. It's a love that went to the cross and the grave to buy back and restore us for an eternal relationship with Jesus. Anyone who encounters that love has to look fundamentally different. Do you have the marks, the true marks of faith? New birth, new life. Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus alone? And has he radically changed your life? Have you looked? Or have I really, really placed my faith and trust in Jesus alone for salvation? I, I think that's worth wrestling with. Um, Jesus says, uh, said to Nicodemus, you need new birth. You must be born again. You, which, which results in a new life, a life changed, a life marked 
by Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And he rose again to show that he has victory over sin and death in the grave. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. For it is with your heart you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth you confess and are saved. We talk about ABCs, admitting we're a sinner. And we need Jesus. Believing that he died for my sins and paid the penalty for my sins and offers me a, a place in heaven and forgiveness and hope. And then confessing. Confessing our need for a Savior. If that's something that, that you have been wrestling through, I, I, I want to challenge you this morning with the question, why not today? Why not now? And that's, that's something personal that you need to deal with with God in prayer. But there are many of us that would love to have a conversation with you about that. Any of us wearing lanyards, and I took mine off because it, it, it blinds you with the, the spotlights, but anybody or any of the band members, any, anybody around here that's, that's running around, we, we would love to talk with you. Somebody who brought you would love to talk to you about a relationship with Jesus Christ, a new birth and a new life. Second group of people here would be the group that said, you know what, I did that, and I know I did. I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to continue my trajectory of growth with Jesus. We have, we have something for you today. Um, we have Bible reading schedules, 30 days in the Gospels, um, all about the life of Jesus. And if you're looking for something, if you don't have a plan as a next step, this is for anybody, but please take one of these. There's a pile of them out there on a table. Uh, there are also building the habit um, handouts, grab one of those, make a habit of being in God's word and growing in your new life. Third group of people would be ones who say, you know what, I'm not sure yet. I don't know, Brett. And I would say, so glad you came. Come back. Come back. Um, maybe one of the questions you're wrestling with will be answered in the next three weeks as we tackle the four questions about believing. Let me pray, and then, and then the band will, will continue singing. Father, I, I am so thankful that you love us, that you did not give up on us, that you sent Jesus down here to die for us, that you offer new life. Father, I, I pray that you would help us. Help us not be part of the percentage who call themselves followers of Jesus and yet don't have any marks of faith on us. God, I, I pray that we would that we would pursue you. I pray that we would live such good lives that even though those who are lost accuse us of, of doing wrong, they'll see our good deeds on the day you visit us. Father, for those who, who don't have a relationship with you, I, I ask that you would that you would save them. Um, we want to see you change lives, God. We know that you do that from the inside out. 
We love you. Thank you for loving us. Help us today to live in a way that pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen.